0: I wonder if we might pause this morning before I preach um, to pray for the Christians in Pakistan. The Pashi family that that read and and performed our Advent lighting this morning um, are from Pakistan. And today, in their home country, there are Christians that are being persecuted. Um, And we sit here freely in our air conditioning this morning. So what a beautiful thing to hear the Word of God read in the native tongue. Uh, So let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that you are a great God, that you died for us all. Lord, I pray as as your word was read aloud this morning, uh, that it would be carried by your Holy Spirit with power. And we declare it over the nation of Pakistan this morning, God, that you would reign supreme in this nation, that you would deliver this nation, uh, that your gospel and this time would go and be professed, proclaimed, and accepted in the nation of Pakistan. That in our lifetime, the nation of Pakistan would become a Christian nation. We celebrate who you are, and we, we ask that because we know it's your will. That none should perish, no not one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Growing up as a child, I, I can remember um, we didn't... When I was real young, we didn't have TV. I think there was, my parents went through a stage where it was like TV was the devil, and so we, um, we didn't have TV. Maybe that's just what they led me to believe, because maybe at the time we couldn't afford a TV. I don't know. Uh, but my grandparents had a TV, and so whenever we'd go visit my grandparents, we would soak up all the television we could. And I can remember as a child... Uh, from as long as I can remember, we would go and, and, and at night we'd convinced our parents that we wanted to s- spend the night sleep with our grandmother in her room uh, because she was special to us and what they didn 't know was that mom would let, or mama would let us stay up, Mama would fall asleep in like five minutes, uh, but she had a TV in her room, and we would watch TV till like one or two in the morning, right. <laughs> And, and back in those days, actually, probably wasn't 2 in the morning, because back in those days, this, yeah, I, I'm starting to get to that place where I realize my age. But back in those days, TV would actually shut down. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Some of you do. Uh, and so we'd watch I Love Lucy and all these things. But my favorite things to watch were old cowboy shows. Um, my granddad had his TV back in the den. And he would fall asleep like that too. Uh, But it was great because he was always watching, he always had on these old reruns of like cowboy shows and stuff. And so I grew up on those. And as a child, uh, back then, cowboys were the thing. You know, the Toy Story, one of the great things about that movie that you youngins don't realize is that it's true. Back in the day, the action Movies and things of the sort were the cowboy movies until space travel and this kind of stuff. But and army stuff back then wasn't sensationalized and wasn't realistic and this kind of thing. So it was the cowboy movies. You know, I grew up on John Wayne and these kind of things. And I can remember growing up always wanting to be that guy. And then as I got older, you know, I, I, I realized that cowboys didn't really exist like that a whole bunch anymore. And then I went to West Texas AM to go to college. And probably nine out of every ten guys up at West Texas A&M think they're a cowboy. And, and I really got a bad taste in my mouth with everything that is cowboy because uh, nowadays in the state of Texas, every, probably one out of every hundred guys that claim to be a cowboy actually are uh, nowadays, especially when I went to college, cowboys were guys that got the Wranglers and starched them so much so that they had the crease like, you know, bleached into their jeans. They put their snuff can in the back pocket and starched that so that you could see the ring in the back pocket. They, you know, they had their boots and they had their truck and, and they had never been out on a horse or out in a field one day in their life, you know. Uh, and they'd walk into class with their cowboy hats on and stuff and everybody knows that a real cowboy takes their hat off. Um, that's the kind of thing. Real cowboys were real gentlemen, and and the movies I grew up on, that's that's the way they were. Real gentlemanly, the real cowboys always did the right thing, right, and and stood for justice. Clint Eastwood, those types. Uh, So I grew up watching cowboy shows and always wanted to be a cowboy until I went to college, and then I realized I'm uh, anti-everything, pseudo-cowboy. I did know some cowboys that were real cowboys, guys that really worked on the ranch, uh, guys that really owned horses, Guys that didn 't own a pair of wranglers, or if they did, I never saw them wear them, and, and they seldom wore a cowboy hat. but they worked uh, as cowboys, so it was always a, always a desire of mine. I can remember my junior year in high school. Um, I saw a movie, I think my grandmother my grandmother used to videotape English TV and whatnot and send us videotapes. Uh, so that we could, and, and what we really like to watch were the commercials. You know, they kind of kept us in touch with culture in the States when we were living overseas abroad. Uh, but, but one of the movies that got sent to us, my grandmother, I think she filmed it, or recorded it actually for my sister, uh, was the movie called A Man from Snowy River. And not a little people are aware of this movie. It's, not, it's kind of a cowboy movie, but not really because it takes place down in Australia, right? Um, but, and it, it, it was not a very action-packed movie. It was kind of a romance story type thing, so I think she recorded it for my sister, but I loved this movie. One of the things I loved about it was the reality uh, of just the, the rancher cowboy type culture, right? And, and it, this specific movie doesn't deal with people that have cattle ranches. It, it deals more specifically with people that have horse ranches, and in this particular movie... Um, the the story goes about this one young man that was probably 17, 18 years old, and uh, he's doing some work. His dad they own some land up in the highlands up in Australia, and so it's tough work. And his dad ends up getting killed because this pack of wild horses come running through. They were they were moving some big trees, cutting down logs, and they were moving a big log. And this pack of wild horses comes through, and it gets their young horse that's pulling the tree all riled up, and the chain breaks. Tree comes down, kills his dad. So he ends up having to leave his family's little ranch. Go down into the lowlands to try to find work, because he can't survive on his own. Ends up going to this horse, uh, this ranch guy, rancher that owns horses and things, um, and, and the whole story unfolds. Uh, but l- bring that story kind of short. What ends up happening is this young guy ends up kind of breaking in horses he starts out at his lowest ranch hand and everybody thinks he's weird you know because he's from the highlands he's the the different kid or whatever and he ends up breaking breaking horses you know and these kind of things and the owner buys this like million dollar race horse and uh he ends up going away on on a trip and uh, a stallion you know and so this guy's daughter uh convinces this young man to go and break the stallion in and while dad's away and so he does and, and and the stallion gets broken in everything's going great except then this wild pack of horses comes running through near the ranch and the stallion breaks out the million dollar horse breaks out and gets away and so dad comes back and he's livid and and we're about to watch this scene that makes this whole movie uh it, Dad comes back, he's livid, he's ready to kick the kid out. The kid and the daughter have kind of started a romance, and the father's not up for that because he wants his daughter to marry some rich guy like he is. And, and so he's upset, the million-dollar horse is out, so he calls every cowboy that he knows to come, and he offers a huge reward for whoever can get this pack of wild horses can, can round them up and get his stallion back, right, his million-dollar horse. So this is the scene, and we're going to watch. So direct your attention to the screens. We'll watch it right now. Bid the mob good day. Okay. How many of you in here have ever ridden a horse? Now, i would ridden horses before, okay? Um, but that's just cool. That's a cowboy right there. He goes on of course he ends up single handedly rounding up the entire pack of wild horses and ends up saving his father's ranch because he comes because he becomes this huge horse rancher and he has a whole herd now of horses it, it's a great story actually based on somewhat of a true story you can google man from snowy River and actually happened and all this kind of stuff it's a real neat real neat movie but when I was a junior in high school right my, my uh, my desire to become this cowboy or whatever, I wanted to ride a horse like that. You know, after watching that, anybody who is a man or, or, a, or a young boy who has any type of testosterone whatsoever watches that and says, oh, yeah, I've got to do that, right? Um, and so throughout my life, I've ridden horses several times. Uh, every time up till then, you know, uh, anytime we'd go on vacation or whatever, we'd rent horses, you know, and and get on horses, but, but when you go to those rental places, you end up on a horse, and you end up on a trail, and, and you end up, you know, you're kicking the horse to try to go faster, and it's like, it's ch- literally chewing grass while it's walking, and the horse right in front of it is doing other stuff while it's walking, and, and I mean, you, you know, so when you ride horses like that, you think, man, this is a piece of cake. And I've always thought, oh man, I want to do that. You know, I've ridden horses, it was nothing easy. Well, I had this friend, he was my best friend, when, when, we, when I entered into junior high, my parents moved in the country of Chile, they moved down to the Strait of Magellan, to a city called Punta Arenas. It is the southernmost city in the world. And we moved down there, and a uh, beautiful place, one of the most interesting places I've ever lived, uh, loved it a lot. Uh, but... The way school works in, in Chile is you enter a class with classmates, and instead of each student having their own schedule, uh, classes have schedules, and the teachers move from class to class and come to you rather than you going to different classes. And so you enter a class in kindergarten. You stay with those same 30, 40 people until for, you graduate from high school. So as a seventh grader coming in when we moved, I entered into a class, and the first day they sent me down to this guy named John. Uh, John Giesling, he, is, he was uh, of Yugoslavian descent. This is him uh, right here on your right. And, um, and in seventh grade, and he and I just hit it off great because he was new coming into to the school. He had changed schools, and so we just hit it off, became best friends. All the way through to my junior year. In my junior year, uh, one summer, I'm sitting around the house, and his mom calls. Now, John, uh, uh, you've got to understand, we were the only American family in the whole state down there in the 12th region. And, and uh, we were also one of the very few handful of Christians. Uh, and in my school, I was, me and my brother were the only Christians. And uh, we had a teacher, an English teacher, who did a teacher exchange program with, with England. And the year he went over there, he met the Lord, got involved in a church, discovered youth ministry. Chile doesn't, in Chile, youth ministry didn't exist. They just didn't have anything for youth. And so he came back as an English teacher to the school we were going to, and he decided he was going to start youth ministry. So he started witnessing to kids in the school. And in Chile, you can do that. It doesn't break any laws. So he just starts witnessing the kids. And he finds out that my father's a missionary. So he comes to me and he says, Jeff, you've got to start this youth ministry with me. And I'm like, sure, whatever. Um, but long story short, we, I end up helping him. And, and John was one of the first guys, because we were such great friends, I invited him. Hey, you need to come over Friday night to this. This is going to sound horrible, especially after the ministry is safe. Uh, you need to come with me to our teacher's apartment on Friday night. And and we're going to hang out. Now in Chile, it's a different culture, different world. Uh, So he agreed, and we did, and and John ends up getting saved. By my junior year, three years later, John's life had been so radically changed by Christ that his parents ended up receiving Christ because of their son's change. And so my junior year, summer... I'm sitting at home, and his mother calls and says, "John is out at one of our ranches. His dad owns five sheep ranches in the Fire Islands, down in the southern tip of the world, and uh, a huge five. Each one is a hundred plus acres, you know. And uh, one of he, his dad is one of the major distributors of wool to England uh, from South America. And John's been out at the ranch all all, all summer, and he called me. We're heading out there. We're going to go camping this weekend." Uh, And he called and asked if you would like to come out. uh, He needs your help uh, on the sheep ranch. And I'm like, yeah, adventure, let's go. So I I load up with his parents. We drive uh, down to the Strait of Magellan, which is like four blocks from my house. And we get on a ferry and sail over to the Fire Islands. The Strait of Magellan is not a fun sail. It's very choppy. But we get over there and drive and drive and drive and drive and drive. Finally end up at his ranch house at like 11 o'clock at night. Uh, we eat, and then we go to bed. And I'm like, man, I just got here. Why are we going to bed? You know, uh, But I'm a stupid city boy. And so at 4 o'clock in the morning, John gets up and he's like, all right, let's go. And I'm like, I'm a teenager. I don't get up till 2 in the afternoon. What are you talking about? It's summer. So I get up and he's like, is that what you're wearing? I said, well, this is what I brought. And he goes, no, 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 no. Here, we need to get you some chaps and some pants. And here, you're going to you're gonna have to wear my dad's boots because you can't wear tennis shoes. And I'm like, well, what are we doing? And he said, well, we rounded up all the sheep. And the Fire Islands, as you can see there, there's mountains, there's plateaus, there's plains, there's dry lakes. And, and in, in the Strait of Magellan, you really have kind of two seasons, a rainy and a dry season. I know that sounds crazy, but in the rainy season, those dry lakes fill up with water. And so what they have to do is they have to move all, all their sheep from, from certain plots of land that during the dry season they can be in the lowlands eating the grass, but when it starts raining, they've got to get the sheep from this plot of land over to another plot of land, because sheep are stupid animals. And sheep will literally drown to death without realizing it. They start drinking water, and their wool starts absorbing the water, and without realizing it, they will literally fall into like a lake or, or something like that and drown. Uh, and so we got... He's telling me... let. Last week, we moved our herds of sheep from these plots of land over to these. Today, they're moving another herd, and you and I have to go back over the 100-plus acres that we moved sheep off of, and we've got to catch the stragglers, the ones that got lost, and take them over, or the, the wildcats and, and the foxes will eat them. I'm like, cowboy time! Let's do it! So... We get out there, and he he has his horse already, and he's like, "Okay, now here's your horse. Uh, th- this horse we're gonna give to you because your legs are so long. He's the only one tall enough. Uh, you you need to understand a couple things. You've ridden a horse. I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, good. <laughs> he, he's like, you need to understand. Uh, this horse is an ex military horse, so he was trained differently. So walking, you're golden. Full out gallop, you're golden." Trotting, not so much. He trots pretty, because he's used to marching, you know, in military. And he said, it will kill you. I'm like, I'm fine. He's like, okay. So we get up there, you know, and we get out, and we head off. Five o'clock in the morning, we're, we're riding out. And we're riding out across these dry lakes, and it starts raining, of course, and, and I'm all super excited. And he says this. He says, now, uh, when we find a sheep, you take off to the left, and I'll take off to the right. Okay, and? he's like, don't worry. I'll do the rest. I'm like, I just took off the lip. He's like, yeah, your horse knows what's to do. Just trust your horse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're walking for like three hours without seeing anything. And and uh, soon enough, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm literally falling asleep in this walk. It's like every horse ride I've ever had. You know, it's just like, gung, 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 gung. And... And then all of a sudden I hear John. Now, the other thing you have to understand about John is John basically is the man from Snowy River. John grew up rounding up sheep with these horses. He grew up with this horse, right? John's the kind of guy that never put his feet in the stirrups. He took the reins and he put them under one leg. And literally the way they rounded up sheep was with whips, just like you saw in the movie. And so he had his whip, and they would crack those whips, whatever. And so we're riding along, and John goes, There's one! Boom! He takes off. And I'm not like, not like, it's like, boom, that horse takes off. And my horse, smart horse, knows how to sheep herd. Mr. Cowboy Jeff Dietz is about to enter into reality because my horse goes from zero to nothing. I mean, nothing to like 100 miles per hour in 0.10 seconds. I mean, I literally... Fly back, and i 'm laying on his butt, you know, and he 's like, whoom! and and i 'm holding on for dear life ah! you know, and and John takes off, and, and my horse i mean it's just the, the sheep 's just running for its life, you know, and john 's coming around this way, so my horse just takes off this way i 'm like ah! and john 's running, and so the sheep bolts this way, and so my horse runs, you know, and so he 's like cutting, and i 'm just like, ah! you know. And finally, we run this thing into a fence. Once again, sheep are stupid, this thing runs straight into the barbed bar wire fence, much like you see right there. It gets stuck, and John's like, yeah, we did it. And, and, and John goes from an all-out sprint on this horse to, to come, coming up on the fence, to just, while it's in a full run, taking his leg and lifting it up over his head, and that horse comes to a screeching halt, and John just goes flying off. Lands on his feet, grabs that sheep by all four legs, just Boom, over the fence. Now I'm thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm alive. <laughs> and I'm also thinking, I'm not the man. John is, <laughs> right? We spend the rest of the 11 hours finding five sheep. Five sheep. Second one we come up on, we get it kind of corralled, and John's like, all right, when we get this one up there against the fence, you throw it over. I'm like, <laughs> okay. So we get it up against the fence, and he's like, we'll go. I'm like, okay, sorry. <laughs> get down, and you're over there, and it's like, okay. <clears throat> you know, John's like, "Jeff, yeah, you're wasting my time, John jumps down, grabs it, just whoosh, throws it over there. We've been out there all day, 11 hours. It's, it's now like getting dark. Down there, it's like Alaska. you got like four hours of darkness in the sun. Getting dark. We've been out all day. We're riding home. In the dry lakes that we had been riding on to get out there, it's been raining all day, misting. Now, suddenly, I have about two to three inches of water in them, okay? And so, we start heading home, and my horse, and John's horse, is that me? That's got to be me. My horse takes off because it understands what's happening. The horses are like, we're going home. So they just, they kind of started a trot, right? And now I'm like, oh, I see what he meant. Because like... <laughs> yeah. um, and, and then they realize that we are, we point home. And so they, they take off in an all-out run. And so they, uh, they take off running, and, and as we're running... We hit one of these, what used to be a dry lake bed. And and my horse is all out running, going home. And he, he hits that dry lake bed. And he's in a full sprint. And he comes. And uh, as he's going, we come right up on the edge of that, that dry lake bed. And, and there's a little kind of slope like these stairs. And so he, he kind of jumps down into that dry lake bed. And I'm uh, holding on for dear life. But he hits the lake bed that's now mud, and his legs go. And so I just see dirt coming. And and that horse somehow or other manages to get his legs under him and just keep running. But when he slipped like that, reins went out of my hand. Somehow, I, I kid you not, somehow or other, I stayed on the horse, but I'm facing backwards. I don't know how and I'm holding on for dear life and and he's running in an all-out sprint he's spooked now so he's just I'm I'm done this guy on me doesn't know what he's doing he's gonna kill us both I gotta get home and and John was riding alongside me and 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 all I hear is we is my horse jumps says, don't go down there and then it's too late, right? So now I'm like, he's all sprinting in this mud. So he's not just sprinting, but he's like, and I'm like backwards going, and and John's up here on the edge. And so John takes off on his horse and I'm watching this because he's behind me now, you know, and, and so John takes off and he's running around the rim of the lake, which is getting higher and higher and higher. And I kid you not, he runs around, and I'm like, and he gets out in front of us, and then he does the man from Snowy River. I kid you not, he goes flying off that edge, and he's just like you saw in the movie. It can't be done, but he does it, right? And he does it without even holding the reins. He's like, laying back on that horse, you know, wind blowing in his hair. And his horse comes up alongside mine, and, and, and without holding on to the reins, he leans down like this, and he grabs the reins that are down in front of that horse that the horse is tripping on, and he pulls them up, pulls them over the head, and he, he grabs my saddle like this with one hand, and the reins, and then he grabs me with the other, and he grabs my leg, and he just goes, whoom, and flips me around in that saddle, gives me the reins, and he's like, don't let go of those again. we may get home. The rest of that trip, I didn't ride another horse. We did see some amazing things. A lot of people were asking me what I'm going to preach my last time here, my last time in this pulpit. You know, um, am I going to preach hellfire and brimstone now that I get to leave? (laughs) The reality of it is, is that my life uh, can be summed up in the story I just told you. you. You see, there's, in the eight and a half years we've been here, if there is anything that has come from us in ministry here, it's not from us. It's all been the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul puts it like this in First Corinthians chapter two, starting in verse one. When I came to you brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. He goes on in in, in verse 10. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit, and the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak not in words taught, by, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? He goes on in Second Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 21, and he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And then in Romans 15, 14 through 19, he says, "I I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Everything that I, Jeff Dietz, have done here in the eight and a half years is because, as Paul says, is because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. If there is anything good, That has come from our tenure here. Please listen to me carefully. It has not come from Kim or I. It has come from the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then in fifth, verse 15, he says, Give yourself wholly to them and watch your life and your doctrine closely. That has been my goal and aim in the eight and a half years I've been here. Not to be anyone other than who Christ has called me to be. Or as John said, put your trust in the horse. I put my trust in the Spirit of God because I am fully aware of my humanity. I am fully aware that I'm not eloquent of words. The biggest blessing in youth ministry has been having Lauren Shirley back there every week to correct me when I make up words. (laughs) (laughs) To make sure that you receive what is God's intent for you to receive. Why, Why do I say all this? Well, we're talking about preparation this week. And if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 2 real quickly. Starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I have a new appreciation for shepherds, by the way. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. The beautiful thing about this passage and the thing we often overlook is the fact that the angels never told the shepherds to go tell people about jesus As you're reading that, what you see is that as the shepherds go and they see Jesus lying in the manger, they are moved so much by what God has done through through the angels telling them of this good news to seeing the baby lying there, understanding that the Messiah had indeed come to earth. They are so moved into action that without having to be told to go spread the good news, they do it instinctively. And Brothers and sisters, that is what Christ longs for each and every one of us. The only difference between me and you is that I'm behind the pulpit today and you're not. But there is no difference in where our source of true knowledge, wisdom, power, authority, grace, mercy, salvation come from. They all come from Jesus Christ. And my eight and a half years in this pulpit have been nothing more than my best earthly attempts to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As 1 Timothy says, to live in purity, to live in faith, in love, in life, and in speech— I long as I leave here that when people remember me, they don't remember Jeff Dietz, how funny he was, or or this, that, and the other. I long that people, when they remember me, they remember what God had done in this season in this church. John 10, we're not going to read the chapter. We don't have time to do that. But in John 10, we see Jesus talking about himself. And he he talks in terminology of shepherds. And, and he labels himself as several different things. One, as the gate through which we enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to label himself as the shepherd. And he says that his sheep hear his voice. And then he goes on and lays himself as the, labels himself as the sacrifice. In other words, as the sheep, the supreme sheep, the one whose sacrifice would pay for all of our sins. And in that chapter, we see foretold the vision Christ had for each one of us. God came and died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He rose from the dead, defeating He rose from the grave, defeating death, so that you and I could be born into newness of life. So that our sins are now forgiven, and as we confess him as Lord, just like him, Paul says, we are born into newness of life. And he says the life we now live, we now live in him, Christ Jesus, in us. And if the word is true, which it is, and Jesus Christ is alive and sacrificed and active inside of me in the form of his Holy Spirit, then my calling is the same. My calling is to be a gateway through which people come to know the true gate, Jesus Christ. My life's ambition should be that I live my life in such a way that people I come in contact with find out that Jesus is the way to true salvation. I am to be a shepherd then. I am to shepherd them. I am to be the one through which Jesus lives his life so that they recognize his voice, not mine. So that they come into him and learn more about him and walk in a in, in, in In compassion with Him. And my life, just like Christ, as we see all throughout the New Testament, my life is to be sacrificed, to be laid down on an altar, to be taken up my cross daily for whatever cause Christ needs me to sacrifice of myself so that others might know Him. First church as I leave, it really doesn't matter who comes in after me. It doesn't matter... If Richard comes back or not. It doesn't matter if someone else comes in. Because God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. What matters is not our education, our abilities, our talents, our gifting, our understanding. What matters or should matter to you is that the people that come and stand up here come knowing who they are, whose they are, and how much they need Him. Because it is the Holy Spirit through us that will empower this church to be the church. And that is the same regardless. David, a 13-year-old boy, defeated his giant Goliath. And God could put a pig up here, a donkey anointed by his spirit to speak his truth. So as you move forward, don't look back. Don't look back on what you've had. Don't look forward to what you want. Look at what is now and pray as a church. Pray that God would replace me, replace whoever, that God's will would be done, that God's man would be in the job, that whoever comes in would be merely a vessel through which the Holy Spirit unhindered gets to work so that this church survives and spreads. the name of Jesus Christ because that is what we are about when Kim and I leave this church we will leave oh so content because we have lived hard with you we have, we have seen God do things that people only read about in books. We've seen people healed. We've seen people raised from the dead. We've seen unreached nations hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have people from a Muslim country doing our Advent this morning. And we join with them and we pray for the same for their nation. We, we are, are unstoppable as the church as long as we follow Christ's leading. And prompting. So we leave with our hearts content. We grieve that we're leaving family and friends. But we go out as your missionaries to do new work. And I leave confident that that as I leave, God's Holy Spirit stays. So I don't worry about who will lead your youth, because His Spirit will lead your youth. I don't worry about who who will continue the work of missions here because His Spirit already leads this church through the people. God will lead this church. God, as Isaiah says, is a jealous God and He will share His glory with none other. So let Him be a jealous God. Let Him magnify Himself amongst you. If we will give our lives and come to the understanding that we have nothing to offer other than everything to him so that he can do what he wants to do in us and through us. Then we will see God move in amazing ways. As we close today, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing and we're going to open the altars because I don't know what's going on in your lives, many of you. But some of you are in here today and you feel totally defeated. You feel like some of you, some of the youth, you're freaking out. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. More than you, your parents are like, what? Who's going to lead our kids? Some of you, your marriages are hurting. Some of you, your jobs are failing. Some of you, your families are in disarray. Some of you... Are scared with the, with the direction our nation is going? I don't know. But all of us in here are human. And all of us struggle and wrestle with the, the situations of life and humanity. But what I do know is that his Holy Spirit longs to come. And His Holy Spirit longs to fill us. And and rather than our circumstances impact us, the Holy Spirit wants to come and remove all our iniquity and baptize us with His Spirit and fill us in such a way that when we go out, we go out and impact our situations for Him that we bring the eternal, that we prepare our lives so that the the created one, the one who created everything, who became the created one, can go out into this world and change it for good. So so as we sing, we open the altars and we invite you to come. If If there are circumstances in your life that are overwhelming you, come and ask the Holy Spirit to take those things from you. He doesn't need you to try to do that for him. He wants to do those things. All he wants from you is a willingness and an availability to say, God, do as you please in me. So as we open the altars and we sing, come, lay your lives on the altars and say, Christ, fill me with your Holy Spirit, that it be you that live and not I, so that I would see the goodness and greatness that I'm celebrating this season. In my life, and then poured out into the lives of people around me. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come in this room. I pray that you would anoint, that you would feel, that you would save, that you would heal, that you would restore, that you would comfort as only you can do. Spirit, we pray for the future of this church. It is your church. To do as you see fit with it. So remove mankind. From, from determining the destination and the directions this church is moving in. Lord, take your church, your bride, make it your beautiful bride placed on a pedestal for the world to see so that people in Pakistan, Cambodia, South Africa, Ecuador, all over this world, all over this city, this nation would come to know your son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through this church. We invite you to come. We say, have your way in us, Jesus.